Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Matthew chapter, actually you go to John chapter 5. You go to John chapter 5 in your Bibles, because I know you brought your Bibles, right? Amen. The church I grew up in, we always had this a little thing that we did before the pastor preached every single Sunday. He said, I can have what my, this is my Bible. I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And then at the end, he said, now wave your Bible and make the devil mad. Wave your Bible, make the devil mad. We used to do that. Some of y'all remember that. I just took y'all down a little journey, a little memory lane. Uh, uh, The guys behind me, if you would, Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're going to look at this in the Passion Translation. We've been talking about the church, the power of the church. Getting back to the power of the church means we've got to get back to the purpose of the church. Amen? The power always lies in purpose. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he says this, I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Jesus is speaking, taking personal uh, responsibility for the assembly and the building of his church. And it, it gives us a little more depth here. He says, my legislative assembly. So he's not just naming uh, who the church is, but also what the church is supposed to do. And the church is supposed to be a governing body in the earth today. The church is supposed to be an entity in the earth that is that has an assignment and has a, a requirement, a responsibility of bringing heaven to earth. Uh, we've made a lot of statements over the last three or four weeks or so that we've been looking at this now, uh, but we've been carrying on with this thought process that the church is literally the vehicle by which the kingdom of heaven will return to the earth. The church is literally the vehicle by which, in essence, you can say it this way, God is not doing anything in the earth without doing it through his church, without doing it through you and I. We know that the church is not an event on a calendar. It's not something you schedule in every Sunday morning from 1030 to 12 or so. It's not a a, a location, right? It's not just an address. We're purchasing property here, but that doesn't mean the church is literally located at 416 Dale Drive. You are the address of the church. You are the church, the body of Christ, the people. Now, we say those things to sometimes diminish the emphasis of attending, serving, giving. Well, the church is not a building. The church isn't an event. It shouldn't matter if I'm there all the time. Well, then let's flip the thing over and then carry the responsibility of being the church then. Because those same people that use the the church is not a building or the church is not an event as an excuse to not be there also diminish their value and emphasis of who you're supposed to be. And so when we fully understand that, man, we are here with an assignment, with the purpose of not trying to get up out of here, but trying to bring heaven here to this planet, to our spheres of influences, to everywhere we go, right? We saw that last week, go into all the world. Well, you know, sometimes we see that as this overwhelming task to travel the planet with the gospel. All the while, God has placed you in a world. And so if we will all own the spheres of influences that God has placed us in and be the church in those environments, then we'll see the kingdom come. Amen. And so he says, this is my legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I love that. That right out the gate, he lets you know, even the the strongest capacities of hell cannot stand against my church. That's how powerful you are. He immediately um, assigns power. He immediately connects his church with his power. That's incredible. And we're going to come back to that in here in a moment. Verse 19 goes on to say, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. Right? So I've got to be able to access it if I'm going to bring it. I've got to be able to, to, to have access to what heaven has. Now, it's easy for us to know what to bind, 
right? The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So that's, that's the devil's residue that he leaves behind. When, when he's working, when he's moving, when he's operating, we see those, those tracks laid behind him. And so we know we need to bind up fear. We know that we need to bind up sickness and disease. We know that we need to bind up immorality, right? We, we understand what it is to bind, but the church needs to come into a better understanding of what it is we are to loose. And I'll tell you this, you're not going to know what to loose by looking at the world. You're only going to know what to loose by connecting with heaven. Because what we're loosing in the earth is up there, not here. And so we've got, to, we've got to work on that. And so I'm sure at some point this year we will, we will touch on that. Um, but it's all about becoming more aware of heaven than you are the earth. It's all about awareness. It's all about what do you walk through life with? Do you have a greater awareness of the brokenness around you or what heaven has to bring restoration and to bring that hope, health, healing, to, to bring answers and redemptive solutions to the continual brokenness that we see around us. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven. That's the actual reading or the translating of that passage is it's already been forbidden in heaven. And what we're loosing on the earth has already been loosed in heaven, okay? So it's upon us to understand what we are forbidding and releasing on the earth. Uh, Let's look at this in John chapter 5. Today I'm going to talk to you about a church on fire. A church on fire. The church needs to be on fire. Not literally, not the building, right? The church isn't a building, Pastor. Okay, good. The church isn't on fire. Um. But the church, you and I, the body of Christ, need to be on fire. You know, I, we used to use that term a lot growing up. You want to be on fire for the Lord. That means passionate, white hot, right? That means that it's, it's, a, it's a continual flame within you. It, it's, a, it's a fire shut up in your bones. It, it's, it's something that you just, when you're on fire, man, what, was it John Wesley that had that quote? If you would just catch on fire, someone will come watch you burn, Right? And so we need to understand that there is a, a, a passion and an intensity and a power that the church is to be operating with in these last days. In John chapter 5, Jesus makes a very scary statement. I'm going to start in verse 16. He makes a very scary statement. Elena, can you hand me that water right there? Thank you. John chapter 5. Verse 16, for this reason, the the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, here it is, the son can do nothing of himself. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. This is Jesus, the Son of God, speaking here, and he says, I can't do anything on my own. I can't do anything just because I want to do it. I don't do what I do in my own capacity, in my own ability. Obviously, we know Jesus came to this earth 100% God. But when he came here, the Bible tells us that he actually derobed himself of deity and put on you and I humanity. And so the scary thing about this statement is the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, has put on a restriction. He has actually limited the capacity within which 
he can operate. Jesus is modeling for us, setting a standard, setting a pattern for the church to follow, a pattern of partnership. Jesus has set here a pattern of partnership. What I see my father do, I do. And I don't do what I want to do, and I don't do it in my own ability, and I don't do it on my own. I do it with the partnership, with the co-operation of someone else. In essence, he's saying, I'm not alone. The things that you're seeing done here, number one, I'm revealing what the Father's will is. What's that? Bringing heaven to earth. That's literally what he's doing. We've said this before, that when you bring heaven to earth, you'll find yourself correcting and rectifying what is out of alignment. Jesus taught us to pray. Your Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will, your desire, your plans, your purposes be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. What's that? Alignment. That means they're out of alignment. That means that in heaven there's healing, but on earth there's sickness and disease. In heaven there's peace beyond understanding. On the earth there's chaos and fear and anxiety and worry, right? In heaven there's love and on the earth there's hatred and a disdain for humanity. Okay, so everything that Jesus did in his life was with one goal in mind, to align the earth back with heaven, to get it back the way it was before it was lost, before Adam and Eve handed it over by right of refusing to do what God had told them to do, disobeying the word of the king, sinning. They lost the privilege of running, controlling, governing the earth and seeing heaven extended to this realm and we know as a result that satan comes in he becomes the god of the world he moves in he takes control and it all of a sudden starts going out of alignment we're murdering people sickness and disease people are dying there's all kinds of messed up stuff immoralities running rampant and we know that it's only getting worse as the day draws near and that is because man hasn't been in its position The church hasn't been in the position of ruling and reigning and governing on the earth as we ought to. And Jesus says, I have shown up because my father's been working and now I'm continuing his work right here in front of your eyes and I'm doing what he wants done. And I'm not doing it on my own. I'm not doing it because I feel like it. And I don't do what I feel like doing. And I don't say what I feel like saying. And I don't even go where I feel like going. There was a time, uh, I believe it's over in in Luke chapter 4, that he was in a town ministering. And, you know, as many times, multitudes, flocks of people would come. And they'd follow him and they'd gather. and And they even begged him. They said, please don't leave our town. Stay here. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. We, we want you to stay longer. We want to hear more. And he said this. He said, I have to go to the other towns and preach the gospel of the kingdom. For this purpose, I was sent. Jesus is modeling for us that purpose is greater than people. Purpose is greater than preferences. Come on. Purpose is greater than my want to's. Purpose is greater than I'm tired. Purpose is greater than I don't really feel like it. Purpose is greater than I don't really understand it. See, you may not understand how laying hands on the sick will cause them to recover. He didn't ask you to understand it. He just said, that's your purpose. That's your assignment. Well, I lay hands on the sick and they're not getting healed. Keep laying hands on the sick and they will get healed. His word will not fail. But what we do is is we start backing off and we start saying, well, he, he must have said something different. And so we start altering The purpose, the example I showed you last week of using a different board as the alignment of how long this thing should be cut. And we keep using the most previous model that is is most close in our memory. Well, you know, you you, you do that a a couple of times might not be that big of a difference, but you do that for 2,000 years. And the church for 2,000 years has deviated from the original model and from the original template 
and we keep, and this is what we do. Whatever the last generation broke, the next generation wants to fix, but we go clear across the other way to fix it. So we actually just make another mistake to correct the previous mistake. Y'all with me? This is what's been happening over history. So when we get back to the original template of Matthew chapter 16, and we look at that and say, well, that, that, that's weird. That church doesn't look anything like what we do today. You read in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way through to Acts chapter 28, and that early church doesn't look anything like the latter church. I thought the latter was supposed to be greater than the former. The latter will be greater than the former when we get back to the original model and the original template we were designed to follow. And stop trying to reproduce the charismatic renewal and stop trying to reproduce the healing revivals and stop trying to reproduce the, the word of faith movement and try to stop reproduce what grandma's church or stop trying to fix what grandma's church broke. And we just get back to the word and say, this is your church. You're building it. You know what it's supposed to look like. You know how it's supposed to operate. You tell it, you show us what we're supposed to do. And again, I'm not talking about methods. I'm talking about mission. I can achieve the same mission with lights or without lights. I can achieve the same mission with loud music or soft music. I can achieve, we, we, get, caught, we get hung up on these methods and we start hugging methods like this is the only way it can be done. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you've completely abandoned the mission, the overall template, the overall model, the overall purpose for which I put the church in the earth. Jesus says, I did not do anything of my own. Jesus showed a, a, an unnatural dependence on the Holy Spirit. You could, you could say it this way, a supernatural dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if the church modeled today the value, emphasis, and dependence upon the Holy Spirit that Jesus did, then we would see the works Jesus did. I heard someone say one time that the church in the book of Acts was about 80% Holy Spirit and 20% man. The church today I'd venture to say that 20% is dwindling even smaller and smaller. That the needle's moving in the wrong direction. A value, a necessity, a requirement, a responsibility even of being led by following and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus exhibited a life that demonstrated to us, I don't do anything. I don't say anything. I don't go anywhere. There's no part of my life that is separated from the whole. I'm that in tune and that intertwined with the work of the Holy Spirit and his mission that ultimately what you're seeing is what the Father wants done. Everything you see being done, you're seeing the Father. He even makes statements like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, I mean, that, that's, that is quite the correlation. That is quite the, 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 the connection that you can that boldly say. And didn't even Paul say that? Follow me as I what? Follow Christ? That, that's, that's pretty bold to say. If you're seeing me do it, he would be doing it too. Can the church say that today? We got to get back to that. This restriction that Jesus put on his life is to be the model and the template by which you and I as the church are supposed to live as well. This was not just for Jesus. We see this uh, going down further in John chapter 5 and verse 30. Same chapter, same passage, just going down a little further. Verse 30 says, I can of myself do nothing. It sounds weird to hear God in the flesh saying, I can do nothing. But the key is, is I can do nothing on my own accord, 
on my own initiative just because I want to. What is he demonstrating? He's demonstrating and exhibiting to us an unnatural, a supernatural dependence and reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit in his ministry, in what he says, in the places that he goes, in the things that he does, in the things that he doesn't do, in the times where he spoke and in the times where he withheld from speaking, in the times where he healed and in the times where he withheld from healing. You know, we only see one man healed at the pool of Bethesda. Why didn't he heal all the rest of them like all those other times? Because he was living by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Period. The answer is the Holy Spirit directed him to that one particular man. And that's why he healed that one particular man. There is something about this yieldedness and dependence in Jesus' life that didn't diminish his value, it increased it and enhanced it. It increased it and it enhanced it. Now look at this in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, and I want to start with verse 14. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. In verse 14, this is right after Jesus has been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. Then he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days, 40 nights. We know that he fasted during that time. We know that uh, he ultimately did not give into or succumb to the devil's temptations. He tried to tempt him. We see three different accounts of where he uh, specifically tried to tempt him to eat bread and to bow down and worship him and to exalt himself to a high place and all these different things, and, and he refused to do it. Now, in verse 14, it says, Then Jesus went back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee. Jesus went back. So when he left Galilee... He didn't have what he's now come back with. And when he came back, he came back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee. And the fame of him spread through the whole region. What would happen to the church if we would get full of and relied on the power of the Holy Spirit? And I'm not saying we will get famous. I'm saying he will get famous. Jesus will get famous. There's a lot of churches that say that they exist to make him famous. But at the core of their initiatives and at the core of their plans and at the core of their programs, they're really more self-interested than they think they are. And the Holy Spirit is, the, is literally the catalyst for making Jesus No, Jesus even told his disciples, he said, when he comes, he will not speak of himself, but he will only speak what the father says and he will glorify me. What job do we, how good do we think we are at making Jesus famous without the Holy Spirit? I can tell you right now, any program that man can come up with, the Holy Spirit can do it a hundred times better. He'll, he'll, He'll do it way better than the best marketing push than the best advertising reel we could do. I mean, he'll, he'll forget Instagram, forget Facebook, forget advertisement, commercials, radio, podcast. The Holy Spirit knows how to make Jesus known if we would just rely on him and get full of him. But you know what we have been lied to for the last while now is that if we'll get full of the Holy Spirit, we'll actually push people away from Jesus. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And the devil knows it. And that's why he's tricked you out of it. 
And that's why he has you stay away from those spirit-filled churches that talk in weird stuff and do weird things. It's because it's, it, 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 it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be weird. It's going to be kooky. They, they, you, know, you, you never know what's going to happen. You know, we need to get in some churches where we don't know what's going to happen. We've had our hand, we, we've had our foot on the gas pedal long enough. We've been driving, steering this thing right off into ditch after ditch after ditch. It's time that we allow the Holy Spirit to steer some stuff in these last days and see the power of God move like we never have. I said like we never have because the best is yet to come. The latter's greater than the former. He wants to do something that's not a repeat or not a 2.0 of what we've had before or it's seen before. We're not just trying to get back to the book of Acts. We're trying to get past the book of Acts. You ain't seen nothing yet. But not without a cooperation and a reliance on the Holy Spirit. His fame went all about the region. And all he did was come back full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it doesn't say he's preached some great message yet. It doesn't say he's done some great, you know, miracle work. He hasn't walked on water yet. He hasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He hasn't raised the dead. All he did was come back full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he himself conducted a course of teaching in their synagogues, being recognized and honored and praised by all. So he came to Nazareth, that Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and he entered the synagogue. Watch this. As was his custom on the Sabbath day. And he stood up. To read. And there was handed to him the roll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened, unrolled the book, and found the place where it was written. Now, notice before I get into this, he's just doing what he's always done. He's just following the customary tradition, getting up in front of the congregation in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He's doing it on the right day. He's doing it in the right place. He's doing it at the right time. He's doing it with the right scripture. I mean, right now, they love him. He's following protocol. He's doing everything you're supposed to do with religious activity. He's doing everything that he's always done before. No disruptions, no weirdness, no chaos. But this time, he's come back under the power of and filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit will change what we become accustomed He reads in verse 18, the same passage that he's read before. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, the anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. Then he rolled up the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were gazing attentively at him. And he began to speak to them. This is where it gets a little crazy. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled while you are present and hearing. What's the difference? Same church, same people, same town he's always been in. He's grown up in this town. Same congregation, same tradition, same protocol, same procedure. Same man in the flesh. Same scripture he's read before. They know the scriptures here. What's the difference? He is full of and under the power of the Holy Spirit. So this time when he reads the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's not reading something that 
was written in the past or may occur in the future. He says in, 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 in your presence today, present in hearing, this scripture is fulfilled right in front of you. See, this is what the Holy Spirit does, is the Holy Spirit takes our traditions, takes our plans, takes our programs, and then he makes them real in the moment. Religion loves tradition. Religion doesn't wander intentionally away from God. It believes it's pursuing God in its practice, in its programs, in its institutions, in its ideas, in its events, in its locations, in its protocols, in its procedures. And the more protocols, the more holy you are. The more procedures you follow, the closer to God you are. The, 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 the better that you can walk line upon line and precept upon precept, then, 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 then the more righteous you are and the more godly you are. And Jesus came to completely obliterate all that and said, today, I'm breaking protocol. Today, the procedure is no longer good enough. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. The spirit of the Lord is upon me now, presently, to heal to deliver, to set free, to proclaim, to declare. It's happening right in front of you. Well, let's see what happens here. Verse 22, I'm going to jump over to the New King James here in verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Oh, they're trying hard, man. They, they realize we're losing him. Hold on, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back, come back. Ain't nothing different about you. You're Joseph's son. You're from Nazareth too, just like us. Don't be trying to get all, spirit of the Lord is upon me, on us. You're from Nazareth. Ain't nothing good come from Nazareth. Come on. I like what you're saying, but don't get too hot. Don't get too high on yourself. Don't, don't start thinking that you're all that. Is this not Joseph's son? That's an insult. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So, you know, this also tells us that nothing on the outside was that transformative. I, I love that he doesn't come, you know, back from being tempted by the devil and have to all of a sudden proclaim to everyone that he's the son of God. He's still walking around as the son of man. He's still walk, walking around in his humanity. That's why they're having a hard time reconciling the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You're from Nazareth. But that's the great thing about the Holy Spirit is he totally transforms your past. He transforms where you come from. He transforms what you've been through. He tra it, it negates all that and says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, watch what I'm going to do with your life. Watch the brokenhearted that'll get healed. Watch the, the, those in bondage that'll get delivered. Watch the sick that'll be healed. Watch the dead that'll be raised. Watch the, the, the life that'll show up when you get full of and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. It might not look like anything's changed, transformed on the outside, but there is a power on your life to do something that disrupts things. But he says, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed except when Naaman the Syrian, except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, remember earlier they were all applauding him and they were praising him, and they were honoring him, and his fame went throughout the region. Now, when he declares the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it says they were all filled with wrath. And you know what? 
the Holy Spirit is still making people mad today. They're okay with the program. They're okay with you keeping your time. They're okay with you going along with the plan, with the agenda, with the formula, with the pattern. But then get a church filled with the Holy Spirit. Get a Christian with the Holy Spirit upon them. Demonstrating, not just talking about stuff, but actually doing and performing and saying that power is available today. And watch the demons go nuts. Because there's no power in patterns. There's no power in programs. There's no power in procedures. There's no power in protocols. But there is power when you get to the purpose that the church is to be filled with and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only will you disrupt the world, you'll disrupt religion. You'll disrupt the ones that thought they were godly, thought they were following his template, following his, in fact, they love following the template in the program. That's what they live for. They'd make up more rules to follow more rules to look more righteous. Come on. Jesus eventually had to address them in Matthew chapter 15 and say, why do you forsake the commandment of God for your tradition? Meaning you keep coming up with new traditions. You got, you, you're heaping up traditions, traditions on traditions, but you're no closer to God. You're no closer in your pursuit of holiness and righteousness. But if you would get filled with the Holy Spirit, he'll do for you in a moment what a lifetime of programs, protocols, and procedures will never produce in your life. A supernatural reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, these things are fulfilled to you today. You want to make religious people mad? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Just get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing the Holy Spirit makes people as mad as, they, as, 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 as he does, as they get. It's amazing. It's amazing that we would rather try our best attempt a hundred times and get it wrong every time than just give the Holy Spirit one opportunity to say, Let you, let's see what you can do. It's sad the circles that we'll run in. It's sad the things that we'll chase. And then we come up with wrong ideas of success. Right? Because if you're not going to play by God's rules, then you're going to have to be comfortable with wrong results. Y'all with me? So we, cha we change the barometer. We, we change the measuring stick. And so success in church is how many people are seated in a pew. We've, we've changed the, the whole measurement of the success of the church and the purpose of the church. And I can promise you most of it would go right back to the ones that are dependent on the Holy Spirit and the ones that are not. Because I can promise you right now, there's some churches that maybe on the outside might not look successful in your eyes, but the Holy Spirit shows up every weekend. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a church that the Holy Spirit's not going to. I don't care if the whole town's going there. If the Holy Spirit's not there, they got nothing. You got people, but you got filled seats, but you don't have filled lives. And Jesus wasn't after just filling pews. I mean, he, he's like, as soon as people start to congregate and get close and follow him. And, and then he'd make stupid statements like, well, you know, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have any part of me. And Peter's like, this is not the time to be introducing cannibalism. Come on, we're, we're doing great. The program's working right along. I mean, they're flocking to you. They're, they're, I mean, you know, Jesus, we want to come be a part of your mission. Foxes have... You know, holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to... Peter's like, oh, come on, we need help here. We're talking them out of following you. Why? Because Jesus kept the same measurement across. 
He never deviated from the template. He never deviated from the model of what this is going to be built upon. And this isn't going to be built upon spectators. This isn't going to be built upon people that just want to come and watch, uh, just want to come in at the high time and then leave at the low time. This is going to be built upon those that have fully given their lives over to the Lord and allowed the uh, full dependence and reliance upon the Holy Spirit in their lives to let him perform and work and cooperate with him. It's, it, it's high time that the church gets back to the reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. See, religion only operates in what can be explained and understood. They can't live outside of that realm. And so the second something creeps in that withholds or doesn't allow us to understand or this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because it's spiritual. It's not natural. Let me tell you something. If you think after all this time, let's just go the last 24 months since 2020. If you think that we have something on our own to be an answer to all the brokenness out there, without rendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit, you are not awake. You are not awake. I have seen some pastors in the last six months and some different ministers and churches, they go right back to what they were doing before 2020. I mean, completely out of touch with what they're ministering, what they're saying, what they're doing. It's like, are you kidding me? The church is being reduced to a social service these days. It's a handout. And I guess there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing against that. But I'm going to tell you right now, the church is not going to change the world in these last days on good character alone. We need it. We need good character. We need people that want to live righteously. We, want, we need people that want to live precept by precept and line upon line. We need that. But I'm going to tell you right now, it, that, that does not give us an excuse to diminish the value of operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Do we want to grieve the Holy Spirit or do we want to quench the Holy Spirit? You grieve the Holy Spirit with a sinful lifestyle. But you quench the Holy Spirit by refusing to participate with divine activity. Say that again. You grieve the Holy Spirit by a sinful lifestyle, something that goes against the word of God. You grieve the Spirit of God. But we quench the Spirit of God when we refuse to partner with the work of the Holy Spirit and the divine activity he's trying to initiate in the earth today. Quench means to restrict. It means to limit. It means to cut off. It means to extinguish whatever word you want to throw in there. And we're quenching. We're fine not grieving him. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But on the flip side, we're quenching the Holy Spirit because we refuse to partner with the work he's trying to perform in the earth today. And I'm telling you right now, they are two legs that need to be equally as long and equally as relied upon. And I can't overvalue the character leg and diminish the power leg. I can't overvalue the power leg and diminish the character leg. It bothers me too when I see people trying to lay hands on the sick, but I know they just came in here cussing. You can come in here and give a, ton- give a word in tongues, but then you give a word out there on the road when someone cuts you off. There's fruit of the Spirit and there's gifts of the Spirit. But I don't have the right to refuse one and prioritize the other. It's time for the church to make a priority out of everything that the word makes a priority. And I'm going to have good character and I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit and operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to elevate my righteousness and diminish being. And let me tell you this, the empowered life will actually help you live the righteous life. If you would get full of the Holy Spirit, you would find that putting off sin would be in the back of your head, if that makes sense. 
Jesus did not build his church so that we could make a lifetime out of trying to live holy. I think he wanted that to be a byproduct out of living out of the spirit of God. And because I live out of the spirit, I refuse sin. Because I submit to God, I flee from the devil. Y'all hear me? And lust and desires and things of the world don't have a hold on me because I'm charging hard after the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of me. And he speaks up. He says, hey, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't watch that. Don't look at that. That's the empowered life. We're trying to live righteous, but in our own ability. No, the Holy Spirit is given to you for far more than you, than you can think or imagine. If you would yield to the work of the Holy Spirit as Jesus did in his life. So look at this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's wind this down. The church has gotten too comfortable leaving the Holy Spirit out of our activities. The church has gotten too comfortable operating without the work of the Holy Spirit. I heard someone say one time, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire. And we'll get to it at some point, I'm sure. If not in this series specifically, but we'll get into order. Because God is a God of order. The first thing we do is we think Holy Spirit means utter chaos and nobody knows what they're doing. I will tell you, Acts chapter 2, the first church service had to be explained. It had people that marveled and it had people that mocked. And you can't have a good revival without people that are astonished and people that are like, I want nothing to do with that. It's going to happen. Nothing, you can't avoid that. Not going to attract everybody. There's going to be those that they just want to mock. They want to refuse. They want nothing to do with it. But Acts chapter 2, Peter had to get up and said, this is that. He's literally having to explain what just transpired. Because it's spiritual. It's heaven on earth. And when all you know is earth and you don't know what heaven looks like, you got to have some explanation going on. But man, when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's always to edify. It's always to deliver. It's always to restore. It's always to comfort. It's always to encourage. It's always to build up and strengthen, not tear down and weaken. Come on. Why would, we want, why would we not want this stuff? Because you had a bad experience? We've all had bad experiences. If we had bad experiences, we wouldn't be using the same restaurants we go to. We wouldn't be using the same delivery services we used to. We wouldn't be having, going to the same doctors. We wouldn't be doing the same activities. I know UPS broke your stuff one time, and you still use them. <laughs> but the church is the one that's like, Oh, they failed me, never going back. What? You don't do that to your job, and I know that they've failed you time and time again. There's crazy people at your job, and you're going right back there tomorrow. But you ain't going to church because that one crazy person looked at you weird. Come on. If we applied the same way we treat church across our entire, we'd be, you know, sitting at home doing nothing. Man, don't let the Holy Spirit instill fear in you. That is such a tactic of the enemy. That's exactly what he wants. Because he knows that a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church, he has, he has no, there's nothing he can do. He's done for. Because the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. The Holy Spirit will show you things to come. He'll remind you of, of things that Jesus said. And then he'll empower you. He'll quicken you. He'll give you strength. You know, the devil loves it when you wake up in Monday, Monday morning, tired as can be, wore out, dreading your day. But when you get empowered by the Holy Spirit, you rise and you shine and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm strong. I'm strengthened. I'm quickened. My mind is quick. I can respond. I can, and he's like, oh, no, this ain't the, give him a bad Monday. He's been giving you enough bad Mondays. Give the devil a bad Monday. Get filled with the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power. Everyone say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
He is initiating with the church. You're not doing anything until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to walk you through this real quick. The church didn't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't do anything until he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter, James, and John didn't do anything until, he was, until they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'll give you one better. Jesus didn't do anything until he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what makes us think we can? Right? Well, we the ones that all of a sudden figured out we don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need the power. And look what he says. You shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. I mean, like the very, the very basic requirement of Christianity is to be a witness. And he says, you need to be empowered to do that. Uh, unless I'm reading out of a wrong Bible, unless I just got some weird translation that puts all these extra things in, I'm not seeing how I can actually be a productive believer in the kingdom of God, a productive member of the body of Christ without being full of and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get real bold here. In the New Testament, when they got born again, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. There was no delay. There was no get born again, read three articles and listen to a podcast on repeat 10 times and then you know, give you every material I can possibly find and Google it and, and understand it and go to church for you know, 10 years and then finally get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was, man, they'd go under the water, they'd come out of the water speaking in tongues and prophesying. No delay. And the latter is going to be greater than the former. What am I saying? That there was an intentional value on the Holy Spirit. That there was a time uh, 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 Paul went back to Ephesus and said, you know, have you guys been filled with the Holy Spirit? And they were like, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. We want that. Tell us about it. There's no fear around it. It was just as weird then as it is today. It was just, let me use a different term, unnatural then as it is today. I think it's so funny when people have, uh, you know, get challenged by people speaking in other tongues. Like we've never heard people speak in another language. There's languages all over this earth. And then we're talking about another nation called heaven. Why would it not have its own tongue? Why would it not have its own language? Why is that strange? Why is that weird? Because we've kept our head in the natural for so long that things that are supernatural blow our minds that much. But to Jesus, living in the supernatural was the most natural thing he did. The supernatural was more natural to him than the natural. Y'all hear me? That that was his reality. Miracles, Jesus was never impressed by a miracle. He expected it. That's, that's called supernatural. That's called I have my mind on heaven more than I do on the earth. I lay hands on someone that's, that's sick, I expect them to get healed, and I'm surprised if they don't. Most believers do not live that way. In fact, before you even lay hands on them, you're already doubting in your mind, well, I hope that they get it. What if they don't get it? What do I need to do so they can get it? How long is this going to take? He didn't give any of those instructions. He just said, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It's amazing how little we actually have to do to see the supernatural take place. But we have created all the religious activity, all the procedures and all the protocols. Got to do this, got to do that, and got to say this 10 times. And, and, and look, we want a formula. Because formulas can be trusted, right? A formula never fails. Two plus two is every single time. It never fails. But what we'd want is we want a life that doesn't require faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
Power is given to the church for two things. Power is given to the church for two things. Number one, it's given to the church to advance heaven. It's given to the church to advance heaven. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you get empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are literally empowered to bring heaven to earth. It takes it from something you talk about and it becomes something you do. It becomes something you demonstrate. It becomes something you live. It becomes something that is actually a part of your lifestyle and not just getting born again, saying a prayer, dying a sinner and leaving this place and being in heaven one day but literally bringing heaven to earth. It helps you advance heaven. But the second thing that uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit will do for you is it will help you endure earth. Yeah. You know why we have so many quitters in the body of Christ today? They're not filled with the Spirit. You know why they can't tolerate Persecution, tribulation, people talking about them, people questioning them. So not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them. It wasn't but two chapters later, they needed a revisitation. In Acts chapter 3, they heal a lame man at the gate called Beautiful. The whole town goes into an uproar. In Acts chapter 4, they get uh, threatened within an inch of their life, and they have to stand before, uh, you know, the, 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 the heads of that day, the Pharisees, the same ones that murdered Jesus, by the way. That's still pretty fresh. Still pretty fresh. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, Acts chapter 4, verse 29, the disciples are praying, Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done. More, they're asking for more of what got them in trouble in the first place. There's one of two prayers we usually pray in these instances. Do something about them or keep me away from trouble. And they said, Send us right back into the, the lion's den and we will continue to do the signs and wonders. We will continue to preach in your name. We will continue to show them that heaven has come, that you are working in the earth today. We will continue to advance the kingdom in the earth. And look what it says in verse uh, so go back to verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal, signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Well, I thought they would just got filled. They sure did. And they got refilled. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Why do you need to leave, live a spirit-empowered life? Because there's plenty of stuff out there that wants to, to, to draw on and detract and, and cause you to wane in your power, in your boldness, in your intensity, in your passion, and in your fire for the things of God. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Cooperate with him. Participate with him. Work in unison with him to advance the kingdom and to endure this planet until he comes. Jesus said, those who endure until the end will be saved. Worship team, if you come. 
I want to read this passage to you. It's out of a, a book. I just want you to listen intently as they're coming. When the church as we know it today fails to make the, tradi- the transition from the law and the prophets to the gospel of the kingdom, it ends up preaching a message that is relevant only to the past. Christ died on the cross to redeem us. And to the future, he will return in glory one day. But it fails to present its relevance for today. The consequence of all this, listen to this, this is the most powerful part right here. The consequence of all this is inactive believers who hover around a temple and live innocuously inside a religious system at best. Or at worst, they become prisoners in a doctrinal POW camp, hoping to be liberated when their commander-in-chief returns. At best, it's just religious activity. At worst, we sit around and we wait. Guys, I want you to know that Jesus came for the world. For God so loved the world. But the Holy Spirit came for the church. If you want to fulfill the assignment of God on your life, you cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. I gotta have everyone just stand across this room for me. Jesus came for the world. Well, I've received Jesus. I've made him Lord of my life. And if you haven't done that, I'm gonna give you an opportunity this morning because that's the first step. Can't be empowered by the Spirit until you've made Jesus Lord. The reason why so many Christians are living empty, uh, uh, futile, uh, just flying by the seat of their pants lives. Because you're missing the component that not even Jesus himself said he would operate without. It's time to make room for the Holy Spirit once again. How do I make room, Pastor Mark? Desire. Something I love about the Holy Spirit is he always goes where he's wanted, where he's expected. I stand before you right now and boldly tell you that this is a church that will expectantly invest in the move of the Spirit with expectation. If that's new to you, I just invite you to jump in with us. You're already here. They think you're one of us anyways. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be desired. You know, I take for granted a lot of times the fact that I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit at eight years old. Spoke in other tongues for the first time at a kids camp at a conference went back with uh, a, a, a team leader or an instructor or whatever there's a circle of maybe 10 to 12 of us all about the same age she just simply told us what it was to be filled with the spirit as a young child she used you know superpowers and You want to be a superhero for Jesus. You want to receive power that's not natural. You want to be able to do what Jesus says we can do. You know how it is as a child, as a a kid, this stuff is more easily received. I could go preach this to your kids right now. They'd be like, yeah, let's have that. I want some of that. But us in, in, in our adult minds, as we get older, and even in my own life, I've, 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 fail to yield to it as I ought to, give it the attention, give it the the passion, the desire. 
But there's no room in the earth today for a passionless church. There's no room. I'm just telling you, there's either a church that's filled with the Spirit or you're not church at all. I mean it. I'm not saying that everything else is wrong. I'm just saying it's only in part. It's inferior to what Jesus intended the church to be. He intended his church to be Spirit-filled. He intended his church to be Spirit-empowered. Well, stop asking silly questions like, why don't we see miracles like they did in the book of Acts? Because we will. We'll see them. We'll stop talking about all the destruction. We'll start talking about all the healing and the deliverance and the freedom that's taken place. I'll remind you that the book of Acts wasn't an exciting time for the church as a whole. It was the greatest level of persecution the church has probably ever seen. Heads are getting chopped off. Moms are watching their sons walk to be crucified. They're having their husbands. They're being widowed within a moment. It actually caused the spread of the church. The persecution that the church endured in the book of Acts is actually the very thing that caused it to go all the way as far as Spain, all the way out to Turkey, into areas that are now known as as Russia. It's what has allowed it to come to this country. Being empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit is not a promise that everything goes your way. It's a promise that you will be empowered to withstand and to bring redemptive solutions to those troubled situations. And you can choose to sit idly by on your hands and watch as we all, uh, 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 as the church is being unfolded in these last days, just hoping that it comes to the clouds one day. Or you can get off of the, the stands and say, put me in. I want to play a part. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.